0: We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they
1: could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created.
0: You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think.
2: Hi, and welcome to Behind the Headlines on the Thought Radio Network. I'm Joe Quinn, and my co-host as usual this week is Neil Bradley. Hey, everyone. And our very, becoming a very common, usual co-host person on the show is also Harrison Keeley. Hey, thanks for having me. Back again. He He is the host of The Truth Perspective. Well, he used to be until he got booted. (laughs) No, actually, we headhunted him. (laughs) Anyway, here we are in a brand, in a brave new world, or a brand new world, where Russia is the new global hegemon. It has just recently, in case you missed it, it has just completely kicked the U.S. off the top spot, moved in, taken over, Uh, y'all better start speaking Russian, because, you know... Now your bases all belong to us. Now all your bases all belong to us. Uh, well, no, that's what some people would like to think, but we're not there yet. Uh, I'm not even sure we want to be there, at least not under those uh, terms or in the same way that the U.S. is the current global hedge Um Yeah, the, the topic of our show this week is, as you probably figured, if you can read, um, it's about Putin's Russia or Russia in general having shocked the world over the past week with um Rather unexpected, a rather unexpected move, mm-hmm. I suppose you could call it, to kind of suddenly and dramatically, in a certain sense, bomb ISIS, i.e., wage an actual war on terrorism. You know the terrorism that's been plaguing everybody since nine eleven. Well, it seems that for almost, more or less, the very first time this week, someone actually started to fight terrorists. I know uh, it's a bit much to ask, but I kind of think that after, what is it now, 14 years of the war on terror, uh, it's about time that someone actually started uh, fighting terrorists because it's, up until now, it hasn't really been happening.
3: And it's funny that
2: something so simple
3: took so long to happen and came as such a surprise because, like you say, we've been having this war on terror for 14 years and really for it to actually happen, uh, why didn't anyone think of that? It's like... I have to come to that point
2: that, that it's
3: such a simple thing. To yeah. Be
2: so... Well, that's only for, it's really only for people in the know kind of yeah. thing because most people think the war on terror has been being fought by mm-hmm. the U.S. and its allies for the past 14 years in Afghanistan, Iraq. But you really have to do quite a lot of mental gymnastics to convince yourself that what the U.S. has been doing over the past 14 years really has been fighting a war on terror because the result of what they have done over the past 14 years is kill about one and a half million Muslims. The vast majority of whom are have been civilians, and that's not conspiracy theory. That's pretty much fact. Uh, it's been kind of genocidal war on the people of the Middle East, rather than a war on terror. So, um, but of course, not many people want to accept that fact, particularly in the West, because the West is the font of all good things like freedom, democracy. Uh, Twinkies, and... The West is burgers. Yeah, so, I mean, they can't, they wouldn't possibly be involved in any kind of a mass murder spree over the past 14 years because because of those reasons. So it's hard for people to grasp that, but that's actually the hard fact. If you just leave aside all of your conceptions and the BS you've been fed for the past 14 years, that's actually what has happened over, the, over that period of time. Uh, the U.S. has basically bombed Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, invaded and occupied Iraq, uh, and afghanistan and bombed it and libya and libya and more recently syria uh directly or indirectly that's what they've been doing uh causing like i said about one and a half million deaths and countless more millions homeless displaced injured obviously as well so
3: well, i think a lot of those people that are haven't been in the know this uh this new russian intervention has the The capability of perhaps opening a few eyes, because if we just look at Syria for the past year, the U.S. has ostensibly been fighting a war on terror with their airstrikes on Syria, ostensibly against ISIS. And yet in three days, Russia has probably done more to combat ISIS than the U.S. and their so-called coalition
4: has done in the entire.
3: How many months has it been of airstrikes from the U.S.?
4: It's been over a year. Right? but 18 months, 3,200 yeah, yeah. airstrikes by British, American, primarily American, British, and lately French
2: and Australian. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah. I'd just like to propose here, uh, I think it's a bit of an exclusive and it's only a proposition or an opinion, but I think it's fairly, uh, it, it's you know, it could be reasonably assumed to be true that uh, there have been no airstrikes by coalition forces in the past 13 months at all. There have been none
0: whatsoever.
4: I have another theory. Um, There have been airstrikes against potential threats to ISIS.
2: No, I don't think there have been any airstrikes. Who are the potential threats to ISIS? The Syrian army? The Kurds. There have been been Turkish airstrikes against the Kurds. Iraqi army,
4: who actually quit at one point in the north of Iraq because they said the Americans just came in and bombed us. And...
2: Uh, the airstrikes they've done in Syria would have been against the Syrians, but the Syrian state forces. forces, the Syrian state forces, haven't said anything, and they would have said a lot about being bombed. There has been no mention whatsoever of any airstrikes against uh, the Syrian military. Mm, and notice that, um, and of course ISIS doesn't have any uh, any airplanes. So um, as far as bombing ISIS, there hasn't been any. So it was a phantom. Well, I mean, you we know, surprised that they might make make that kind of stuff up and say we're going to bomb and then not do it. Who, who's going to prove it? Who's who's going to uh, say, hey, you didn't do that?
4: Well, there were some videos uh, of strikes in the north of Syria. You might remember the one where there's two guys planting a jihadi flag on top of a hill mm. in the Syria's
2: north, and then uh, it's obliterated. Yeah, but that's the Syrian military. The Syrian military has been bombing uh, from the air because they have planes, have been bombing ISIS, or ISIL, whatever you want to call it, targets. Uh, but the coalition, the West, has not been bombing any of those targets. And I think they have basically not really, uh, for, all, for all intents and purposes, or for all intents and purposes, they, they haven't been flying any bombing runs over Syria.
3: Well, notice what the Russians did. They started on the first day, after the first day, the first airstrikes, they released the videos of them. And that's, that struck me, mm-hmm. that as soon as it started, they released the videos of them. Mm-hmm. And then I remembered, well,
0: how come the U.S. didn't do oh, that? The
2: U.S. did that all the time when they were in Iraq and Afghanistan, yeah, and exactly. they have not done it once in mm-hmm. any of their claimed bombing attacks on ISIS. Or, Of course, the, the whole idea here is that this is, you know, and the truth behind it is that ISIS is... Um, first and foremost, a proxy um, organization. It may or may not even exist in the way that they, or it may not exist in the way that the West has presented it. Uh, it's a branding placed on certain groups. Well, there's a, fr- there's so a free, free Syrian the Army. Of yeah. what we expect a terrorist to look like. Well, there's a Free Syrian Army, a so-called Free Syrian Army, which is a group of mostly foreign... But that too is a brand. Well, but it's but they actually exist in a more real way than... Than ISIS exists, um, the Free Syrian Army are a group of mercenaries and foreign fighters brought into Syria to from wage, Libya to wage, primarily, but from Libya, from Saudi Arabia, from Qatar, from wherever they could get them from. It depends on their state, where their staging ground is. But these people were brought into the country over the past four years um, to wage a war, a proxy war, on behalf of the West and the Gulf states uh, in the Middle East against. The Syrian government and the Syrian military—they uh, called themselves the Free Syrian Army. They had to be given that name to provide a a, a gloss on a kind of legitimacy or a legitimate gloss on them, as if they were members of the of the of the former defectors from the Syrian military. They don't really ever describe. I mean, who these Free Syrian Army people are? Um, supposedly, um, you would think that the only um, people with military experience able to wage a war like like they have for the past four years against the Syrian Syrian military would be defectors from the Syrian military itself. Who else in Syria is able to mount this kind of a sustained long-term and up until now very successful uh, war against quite a large army like the Syrian army? Which has is is very well equipped. Uh, equipped, it has a lot of a lot of personnel. It has a lot of weapons. It has tanks. It has um, it has warplanes. So apparently, in the past in the past four years, and right from the get go, from two thousand and eleven, somehow a group of indigenous Syrians were able to wage a war against the Syrian military. Now that kind of uh, is stretching it. A lot, because you would expect mm-hmm. in that situation, from to have the kind of success they had, they would have to have at least been half of the Syrian military would have had to split off and fight against the other half. But there's no evidence that that has been the case. There may, but there have been some uh, reports of defect military desertions yeah. amongst the amongst the Syrian military, but not many. So who are these people? Are they in that case? They're ordinary, they're ordinary Syrians, right? They're just mom and pop or pop in this case, sons, whatever. May or may not have had a little bit of military training, but somehow they were whipped into shape very quickly, and they could wage this war against the Syrian military and win, uh, or at least you know make a lot of ground. So, by definition, these people the the, the claim or the evidence that these people are from outside—is a no-brainer. Obviously, they're from outside. Therefore, there is no legitimacy to the Free Syrian Army or any other so-called rebel group because they are more than likely not Syrian. What do they do in that country? They're not Syrian. They don't have any right to go over Syria or to overthrow the Syrian government militarily because they're not from Syria. It's not legitimate in any any fashion. So obviously, these are mercenaries brought in, very well armed and trained, kind of hardened uh, uh, veteran um Military personnel from, like Neil was just saying, other conflicts like brought in from Libya, etc. But they're basically international mercenaries that were brought in uh, to towards with the Assad government. Um, not just, not necessarily just from Libya. Uh, well, from other well, places so, well
3: But there's a, there was an article in the Daily Express on August first this year that said that uh, there were 100, over 120 undercover SAS agents dressed up as ISIS mm-hmm. in Syria. Um, They're a part of a force known as the Coalition Joint Special Operations Task Force under American command. Hmm. And they were, the the Express article at least, you know, presented them as being undercover, Hmm. right? They've infiltrated ISIS in order to better help attack ISIS. But uh, they said they operate in small groups. The units reveal their coordinates to RAF and coalition air forces and are assigned a kill box an area which will not be attacked by air when they are operating there.
0: Hmm.
3: Now, of,
2: co- and of course... Now the AFAS have a long track record yeah. of doing that kind of thing, but in this case, Iraq. they're not actually fighting against ISIS. Mm-hmm. They're fighting against... They're trying to, to fight against or to uh, command these foreign mercenaries I just mentioned they are inside ISIS. Syria against the Syrian military. So the whole ISIS thing came along, and as most people know, it, it emerged, you know first about maybe 2 years ago so about 2 years into the uh this manufactured Syrian civil war slash proxy war on the, the Syrian government ISIS appeared and it really they really came on stream uh, early last year around the time of the coup the western US sponsored coup in Ukraine uh and they started terrorizing everybody last year by chopping off heads and pu- pu- posting pictures now that was, well yeah that was clearly um designed, that was a gloss, like I was saying earlier on, a gloss put on the, this Free Syrian Army. It was basically a boogeyman. They turned them into um, you know, this kind of a demonic, jihadi head-chopping outfit that was designed specifically to scare Western populations, uh, as we have seen, because that's exactly what they did. Um, the, the propaganda and the media was used to promote what these people were doing in glorious technicolor straight into everybody's homes, sitting rooms, and in the West, and it seems that that was used. That was plan. The plan for that uh, of creating this kind of demonic entity was to justify uh, Western airstrikes. It's very strange because usually, when the West organizes a proxy uh, campaign like this, where they use mercenaries to fight against someone that they don't want to fight against themselves directly, they they don't necessarily get involved. Um, they just let the proxy war. Carry on, they train them, they fund them, they arm them, all that kind of stuff um but usually they wouldn't fight against those proxy forces because they're they're funding and arming them, but it's strange that in the case of Syria, they decided to go with the option of creating a kind of parallel group that was fighting against in theory fighting against Assad, but wanted to as we as we all know they they want to create this caliphate, this fundy Muslim head chopping state all across Syria and Iraq and as much of the rest of the Middle East they can conquer. And this was created, this, this narrative was created, apparently to justify Western military involvement, where they couldn't just say, we're going in, or they tried, uh, we're going in to bomb uh, the Syrian government because Assad's a very bad man for some reason, uh, and we can get into that later, they weren't able to do that a couple of years ago. So they create ISIS to get Western support to go into Syria and, under cover of bombing ISIS, uh, bomb Syrian military positions and help their proxy mercenaries Uh to uh finish the job. That's not what happened. So Free Free Syrian Army is ISIS. It's just a
4: different branding. Because there were stories in 2011 and 2012, uh, the clear case that came to light, where massacres attributed to Bashar al-Assad's people like the Al-Hula massacre, Mm
0: -hmm.
4: where 40-something children were gutted with knives and then they took video of it on YouTube, uploaded it to one of their channels and said Assad did this. It emerged that they were actually children of fighters or supporters of Assad uh, and it was done by the so-called rebels, in quotes. So they're essentially the same thing, which is why Lavrov can say now, well, look, ISIS, free Syrian army, if it walks like a terrorist, if it acts like a terrorist... It's a terrorist and mm-hmm. um, because they're looking at the whole... There, there was no qualitative change from the behavior of one to the next. Mm-hmm. Remember, the Free Syrian Army was blowing up pipelines, car bombs in Damascus. It was behaving exactly the same. The change, the rebranding, and the small tacking strategy to create this parallel group, or the appearance of one in the shifting narrative, came because the original plans... Have a proxy army and then bring something to a head. That something they tried to bring to a head yeah. was the chemical weapons mm-hmm. issue. Oh, he used chemical weapons, and Russia neutralized that. And mm-hmm. as soon as that was done, they had to create this parallel thing. Bloody risky, be- because as you've seen, they're
2: so they're in such a mess now. Because if you yeah, if you look at the uh, the timeline of it, that's the way it actually happened. You had first of all, they had Syrian revolution. 2011 early 2011 so-called protests there weren't really that many anti-government protests the the protests that, there were many pro-government protests much larger than anti-government protests and as soon as uh, they kicked off you had violent uh, attacks gun attacks and etc on policemen and state forces in Syria in early 2011 that kicked off the 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 civil war so-called civil war the, which was basically the, the signal for these mercenaries to start flooding into Syria from Jordan paid or by paid and armed and trained by the West, by Western advisors, military advisors in Jordan, in Saudi Arabia, in Qatar. Uh, they flood into Syria Turkey and, and Turkey. They flood into Syria and, uh, and start a, a revolution that has nothing really to do with the Syrian people. Um, after about two years of that, you, ha- you have you have a fake, a series of fake chemical weapon attacks by, supposedly by the Assad forces, Assad government on civilians, quote unquote. It's proven that it was actually the rebels that fired those, or it's, it's some kind of a manufactured scenario. The The West gets all up in arms about the whole thing and says, this is just, this is a red line, we got to go in. And they're a, at the point of going and launching a bombing campaign, a NATO bombing campaign, to finish the job two years ago, and they had to pull back. Kerry had to do an about-face on TV. Oh, okay, well, we're not going in because Russia has gratefully uh, chosen to uh, handle the situation and destroy, uh, help to destroy or remove Syria's chemical weapons stockpile, so it's all fine because that's the only reason we're really concerned anyway. We don't really have any other interest other than keeping chemical weapons out of the hands of evil people who would use them on civilians. that's what America's all about everybody knows that right so um, the reasons why that that didn't or that that Russia kind of checkmated them in that situation and stopped that NATO bombing campaign a couple of years ago uh, who knows I mean there may have been some um, suggestions given most likely I think is that um, Russia made it clear that it would be it wouldn't be a a turkey shoot like Libya, uh, I, I suspect that even at that point in time, Russia had anticipated that, having seen what happened in Libya, anticipated that they would do the same thing in Syria, and had already uh, sent in enough air defences to Syria to make it extremely painful for any uh, for, for NATO to carry out any any supposed uh, or any planned bombing campaign. So they they at the last minute decided, okay, maybe we'll not do that. Uh, let's save face here. And so we said, we can help you save face. We'll solve the chemical weapons problem for you and you can say, okay, no problem. So the US and the Brits and the French, et cetera, were uh, back at square one. How do we get to Assad and the military?
4: They really, so, really no, they, want to do this, huh?
2: So they came up with, like we are saying, they came up with ISIL at that point. It emerged mm. uh, about a year after that. Uh, after they had to back down on the bombing campaign, and then they started ramping up their so-called uh, uh, airstrikes against ISIL. But I don't know—I don't know what they thought they were going to be able to do, given that in that scenario, where, where I suggested that um, the Syria had um, the Syrian military had Russian air defenses, effectively Russian anti-aircraft missile batteries in Syria, to the point where. NATO would be very limited in its ability to fly any bombing uh, mission uh, against the Syrian government under cover of saying we're bombing ISO. And I think that's what's happened. And that's why I say I don't think there have been really any significant uh, Western airstrikes against uh, any targets in Syria. The real target being the Syrian military and the Syrian government. Uh, the, the fake target, the, the justification for it being we're going to get ISIL. But I don't think they've done very much at all. They may have, they're probably stationed planes at more bases in Syria, obviously. They have a base in Iraq, but they would have been flanked from either Iraq, Saudi Arabia, uh, Turkey, perhaps. But as you noted earlier on, the significant um, bombing or attacks inside Syria have come from the Turkish, the ones that are actually verifiable outcome from the turks against the I kurds and that's a completely separate throw in the israelis too they had 13
4: supposedly 13 separate air runs and there's video yeah, footage but, of massive explosions
2: right but right over the border mm-hmm. and their main concern supposedly was stopping the syrian military from trying to take back under the in the fog of war trying to go back to Golan heights and that, again there's also a slightly separate issue Turkey bombing the Kurds, separate issue. Israel keeping the Syrians out of the Golan Heights, that's a separate issue to the broad Western attempt to blow Syria back to the Stone Age uh, so to get rid of Assad. Um, so, yeah. Well, the, uh,
3: one of the Russian MPs who's been making statements to the news several times for the past few days um, his name is Pushkov, and he said something funny just uh, yesterday or the, day, or the day before. Now, he w- didn't go so far as to say there haven't been any, any airstrikes from the American coalition, but he did say that the U.S. – seems like the U.S. has spent the last year bombing the desert, the Syrian desert, not ISIL. And uh, so he made yeah. a couple other like sarcastic references or comments. He said that the, all the CIA-trained – um rebels have gone and joined Al Nusra and Al Qaeda. And mm. so it's impossible to strike them because they don't exist anymore. They're all you know, they're all part of these Al Qaeda affiliates, which are of course, these are all just names for, for all these groups. That there's really nothing that differentiates.
2: Well foreign mercenaries uh, are yeah. foreign terrorists brought mm. into the country and have nothing to do they're basically there to wage a war on the Syrian people. Mm-hmm. And as you've seen, they have waged a war on the Syrian people and they're killed. We don't know because there's a lot of propaganda going around but certainly large numbers of certain people have died in this uh western war on all wars are wars on the ordinary people of this world they have always been if you look at the the numbers of casualties from any major war in the past you'll see that the vast majority of the of the casualties are ordinary people by definition wars are against the ordinary people of this world
3: well you know i remember when the the coalition airstrikes started and one of the first news stories that came out was that uh there was I believe it was a grain silo or grain storage that was hit. And this was coming out of Syria. So I'm wondering if uh if there were airstrikes and it seems like the ones that got in the news were against civilian infrastructure.
2: Yeah. Well that's what they did in Iraq, yeah. when they bombed Iraq the first thing in that uh, shotgun awe campaign when in they all cru- yeah. cruise missiles that was just obliterating Water plants, you know, water treatment plants, mm-hmm. electricity, power stations, all that kind of stuff. That's what they do when they attack a country and claiming that they're attacking an evil government. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's another alternative uh, to to my theory that they have been uh, bombing. They have done a few bombing raids on, yeah. on Syria, but they've just uh, bombed nowhere. And if you think that's crazy, it's not crazy because uh, war for no reason whatsoever other than firing weapons, is very lucrative. Uh, mm-hmm. That's why they like to have war for any reason whatsoever because um, it's not necessarily so much about achieving a certain strategic uh, or political objective in a country. It's true enough to simply drop a lot of ordinance because then uh, the government gets to take a lot of taxpayers' money and give it to their friends mm-hmm. in defense contractors prior Each to bombs Each
0: of those bombs they make, a lot of money. Right. And then give
2: donations back to the politicians. So it's like there's enough reason just to have drop some bombs somewhere.
3: Yeah. There's the PR aspect. Just think of Iron Dome in Israel. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a total joke, but it's
4: all in the news and there's nothing to Yeah, it. we suspect that Israel's Iron Dome, these flimsy rockets they fire up, are just for effect. So the air sirens go off in Tel Aviv. A uh, couple of uh, missile batteries fire Iron Dome missiles up. And if you actually watch the videos, they just go up and up and up, and then poof. Like a firework. There's no mm-hmm. contact with anything that's incoming.
2: Well, yeah, you sure. Supply, you supply your military lots of ordnance, lots of weapons, lots of missiles and stuff. And what are you going to do with them? You're going to let them sit there and rust, or employ people just to kind of keep them clean? I mean, you can't keep them for that long before you have to fire them. What are they? What's the purpose in life? What's the the mis- <laughs> purpose in life for them to be fired? I mean, you, and if it goes too long, if years go by and it's like, yeah, there's not much, uh, not much reason to fire these weapons. Can we, uh, we find one? Maybe anybody? anybody, anybody, any ideas? That also was was a long way to explaining. You know, there's really periodic, there's really attacks on on mm-hmm. on, Gaza. on on Gaza. You know, I mean, there are other reasons, obviously, but what we're saying is that a primary reason that wouldn't actually need any other geopolitical or strategic reasons would be simply to get them up your weapons and buy some new ones, i.e. use taxpayers' money to buy new weapons. You take money from the people, give it to the corporations, who then give it back to the politicians. It's a nice little earner.
4: War makes the world go around. War makes the Western world go around. And meanwhile, the strategists, those who actually find some purpose to where the missiles go and therefore where the money comes, they're in the business of managing conflict. So like they're supposedly, not doctors, but scientists, researchers for big pharma trying to find a cure for X, Y, Z, they're not, the money ain't in the cure. In the war, the money's not in actually bring it to a damn resolution. The money is in managing the conflict Mm -hmm. and using it to force political change in your favor, turn stack the deck in your favor, etc. And then along comes Russia and says, you know what? uh, It's time for a real war. In the sense that an actual, the use of missiles with purpose. And I say that we, read, I don't think anyone saw it coming. I mean, there were all these reports. You think back to, I think back to May when there were rumors of Putin's plan. He was thinking of something for the Middle East. Okay, whatever. And then Ynet, Israeli outlet, published this expose of Russian troops arriving in Syria. And we thought, hmm, nah, disinformation. But then there were more and more reports coming out from Lebanese and other countries that every year were talking to people and they said, no, no, we're seeing stuff. And eventually there were the satellite, did did the satellite photos they showed of a runway that was rebuilt by Mm -hmm. the Russians Mm -hmm. with the jets on them, did Mm -hmm. that come before
2: Putin went to the UN? Yes. I think so. Yeah.
4: It was on
3: the twentieth.
2: Yeah, obviously that kind of thing, setting up an airbase as the Russians have uh have done in Latica on the eastern coast or eastern coast of oh, sorry, western coast of Syria on the Mediterranean. Um I tell you, that doesn't happen overnight. It takes probably a couple of months at least. I mean they had to lay late late tarmac. they had to actually build and you can't hide that. People will see it. Runways. So yeah.
4: they kinda knew something was but it I think it still caught the Western warmongers by surprise. Well, even
3: all those reports that were coming out, there was none of them really t- turned out to be totally true. So there was that first Israeli report, but all, all the ones that came after that, they seemed to be going in the direction of Russia's plan, planning, like a ground operation. So they're bringing all these troops in that were going to then... Assist, yeah, they're exaggerations then. Yeah. So, but there was something to it in the sense that there was a military buildup, but it didn't turn out the way anyone was saying online in in all these reports. So they all they all knew something was up, mm-hmm. and of course they could see that. And then eventually Stratfor released that report with the satellite photos on September 20th. And then, but even then, after that, no one really guessed what was going to happen. There weren't any reports saying, "Oh, well, Russia is going to start these airstrikes." Mm-hmm. Then. Putin went to the UN and two days later it happened and no one no one saw it coming, even though there was there were these two or three weeks beforehand where all this stuff was going yeah. out in the news.
2: That all points to a very uh probably a long term well thought out strategy uh by the Russians with uh with a very clear idea uh of what they want to achieve. And maybe we should talk about what Russia wants to achieve and what it's doing because uh, Russia isn't just or isn't only in the game of taking out the trash type of thing. You know, it's not in, in the same mold, mold of uh, in terms of the policeman of the world. It's not looking around saying, where's the bad guys? We're going to get them, good guys. Russia obviously um, has another uh, reason to be in, in Syria. And just before we get into that though, I just want to say that if anybody has any questions you know we have a call-in facility. So if you feel like calling in and saying your piece or asking a question or whatever, ranting about something, uh, feel free. The number is available right in front of you probably. So um, unless you're listening to, uh, I'm listening to this after the fact, uh, in which case, don't call in because it won't be there. Anyway, um, yeah, so what's Russia's... Uh, broad if any broad goal or broad strategy in doing what it's doing in syria Harrison.
3: well i think there are a few but first of all start with what they're saying they russia is there to protect their ally in a sense so assad because assad has been fighting a civil war and his military has and russia has a close relationship with syria so naturally um, Russia doesn't want to lose that, and it would risk losing not only that, but much more. They have their naval port in Tartus, which is very close to the Latakia Air Base. And then now they've got, so not only do they have you know, some troops that are stationed there, they've got their some ships, and they've got the, now that they've moved everyone, uh, um, all of their, or more of their equipment and troops in, they have a, an established presence there that would be under threat if the Assad regime would be no more. So if a U.S. puppet state, you know, puppet leader would just be put in, that would put at risk Mm. uh,
2: Russia's only presence in the Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. And then then there's... In that sense, it's the same same reason that they uh, did what they did in Crimea last year to protect their Black Sea fleet in Crimea that was going to be taken away from them effectively by Mm -hmm. some coup-installed puppet regime which has happened but that's why they took uh, yeah. Crimea.
3: And there's oil politics. I mean there's the plans for a pipeline um that would oh, I forget the details exactly but that would go through I believe um, well was it Iraq and then through Syria and Turkey but there were it's kind of this rival plan to to Russia's existing pipelines and the pipelines they've got planned in the future
2: from Iran from Iran to Iraq to Syria mm-hmm. um, And and to Turkey or through the Mediterranean. So yeah. this is the suggested idea as to for the recent detente or agreement between the US and the, uh But although brokered by Russia as well um between the US and Iran Where Iran is being apparently brought back into the international community uh, 'cause formerly it wasn't part of the international community obviously it, it Iran used to be on another planet and now it's back on earth it's and it's um the idea behind this is that um the u s wants to court Iran to uh supplant russia Russian gas and oil uh for europe because iran and or sorry the u s and europeans want to in theory. And particularly the U.S. wants to push Russia back, stop Russia being such a uh, being so important to Europe, to the EU, in terms of the supply of gas and oil. So it wants to provide a, an alternative so that Russia can be, to some extent, dispensed with in that regard. So they court Iran and then they built new pipelines from Iran to um, the EU. But I'm not sure about that because Russia was um, involved in brokering, brokering this deal. Also, Iran has a border with Turkey. You wouldn't necessarily have to run any pipelines through Iraq and Syria. If you could just run a pipeline from Iran directly into Turkey and then into the EU that way. So, um, and the fact, like I said, that Russia was was I to be a prime motivator and, uh, based on all the reports. Russia was instrumental in uh, striking this deal with Iran. So I think there's other reasons. Uh, for that agreement um I think the u s basically uh saw that Iran was going to Iran was up for grabs basically they weren't there was no will, no ability really to bomb Iran and have a regime change in Iran, so it was well either Russia gets Iran as an ally or we get Iran as an ally so let's try and do something here and let's you know keep it open at least as to who Iran sides with. Uh, So Russia was involved in that as well. So that's all to play for. But just in terms of that question of what's Russia's broader strategy, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to suggest that Russia's strategy in Syria, other than what Harrison just suggested, which is uh, defending their their ally and their interests in Syria. um, A broader strategy for Russia here could be basically remaking all of the Middle East. Um, Sticking it to the U.S. in the process. Exactly, yes. I mean, uh, completely changing the 100-year-plus status quo that has existed in the Middle East, where basically the Middle East has been a hotbed of extremism and wars, but with uh, particularly Saudi Arabia being uh, the U.S. is essentially a client state for, for a long time in the Middle East, and... Uh, Saudi Arabia having large supplies of oil. Uh, Saudi Arabia has effectively greased the wheels of the American empire for many decades. Um, And uh, Saudi Arabia has, along with the U.S., Saudi Arabia struck that deal many years ago with the U.S., uh, and the U.S., their part of the deal was, we'll keep all of the other um, Middle Eastern countries down, divided, and if necessary in conflict in order to ensure that Saudi Arabia remains uh, the prime kind of power. You notice that Saudi Arabia has never been involved uh, or never been attacked, never been involved in any kind of major civil war, or never had any kind of a conflict in all these years while Iraq, Syria, um, Egypt, Libya, all of these countries around have all been embroiled in war, but Saudi Arabia hasn't. That's because Saudi Arabia is the U.S. is... Uh, I can't say that word, but uh, the U.S. is, uh, <laughs> you know, the
4: <laughs> That part was censored
2: yeah. um, in the Middle East. And that's – hang on. I, I just asked. Uh, I just uh, – I put out the, the, the word for call. So uh, we have a call here. This is Jonathan from Tampa. Hi, Jonathan.
5: Hey, hey, how you doing? Yeah, this is Jonathan. I'm in the north right Very now. Pretty good. Yeah, well, anyway, okay. I love your analysis. I, I love your analysis of this, how this is shaping up. And – um really uh, what i'm witnessing right now, just as I go through different websites and their comments, is like so many people in the United States are seen through these lies and um but the dominant commentators the people are that are regularly allowed to have opinion they're still playing this game that uh that the United States isn't really behind isis you know mm-hmm. and it's just it's so tragic and funny to watch how they they go through these um, kind of this proxisms of anxiety and all that, but you're, you're definitely watching the United States' long-term strategy just totally falling apart in a very short period of time. It's all coming to the fore and becoming readily apparent for anybody that can think critically. And um, it couldn't have happened to a, a better empire. And... um <laughs> I'm all for it. You know what? So many times, just like the cynicism of the sanctions that kill all of these people and then the bombings, the drone attacks, that every time they they send up a drone, they know full well that they're going to kill innocents every time. And nobody just calls them on that kind of just blatant, cynical terrorism. And you know what? This is like, this is a beautiful time for the prospects of some human freedom and uh, mm-hmm. opening uh, opening ab- avenues of critique of solid human human uh, cooperation and solidarity this is like this is opening new vistas up for uh, a developing a better world through which we might be able to tackle real problems and make progress as opposed to just propagandistic uh, lip service to to addressing problems but nothing ever gets done everything just becomes worse and worse you know so I just, I'm just enjoying this, you know, the situation, just watching the propaganda, watching the propaganda matrix just kind of just totally fall apart, you know? Just,
0: it's beautiful.
3: Yeah. We, uh, us too. So yeah, we, anyway, we've been having a lot of fun this past week.
5: I enjoy it. I enjoy it, you know, but, but the other thing I, I, I just wanted to point out before I let y'all go and I appreciate being able to comment, but watch the projection. So in other words, when people start analyzing this, that are that are commentators for the status quo, left or right, watch how they project what that that of Putin's evil machinations, his game plan. You know, really, what they're projecting is their own cynical tactics and strategies and proclivities onto what they believe is quote unquote Putin's game plan. You know. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep, but it's so cynical because it's just a mirror of their own kind of like double talking, their their own cynical uh, reduction of uh, human relations to the most cynical like power moves and so forth. And um, of course, Russia has its own national interests, but I think Putin, that's very unique about Putin, is he has the ability to see that, okay, we have our own national interests, but. For us to achieve our national interests, we also have to take into consideration other people's interests. Oh exactly. my god.
0: What a this concept. Is, oh,
5: <laughs> what a cynical bastard that Putin is. Oh my
0: god.
5: <laughs> <laughs> all right, God bless you all. You take care. Bye
4: bye. All right. You too. Right, thanks, thanks, gentlemen. gentlemen. See you next week.
3: We hope. That's that's the that's... I, I think that's the key to it, is that Russia does have interests. Putin is protecting Russian interests, but If we have watched how Russia has operated these past years, it seems that whenever they make a big move like this, it's not just for Russian interests in the sense that we see most other countries and specifically the United States operate, where operating for American interests is exclusive to America and excludes other countries' interests. But when Russia does something, it seems to have greater effects to the point where People will come to the conclusion, or could come to the conclusion, that Russia is actually doing something good for the planet. Now, that may may not be the prime motivation or um, the the only thing that's going on, but it's it when you put when you look at all these different facets, it's like it's like the best possible solution to this to to some problem that just goes in so many different directions. And that's what I've just found to be so amazing about it. So even if Russia is protecting certain interests and restructuring the middle east at the same time they're really sticking it to the united the united states and in a in such a clever way mm. so simple but so genius at the same time that the u.s so the u.s has been doing their thing for 14 years they've been um like un, uh, well no one has unchallenged unchallenged and so i mean it started with iraq and it was either you're with us or you're against us and so some people joined on with uh, the whole charade and Those who didn't, who didn't do anything. And so for 14 years, the U.S. has had, well, for longer than that, but um, at least since 9-11 for these 14 years, you've had the U.S. basically doing its own thing and just getting more and more arrogant to the point where they think they can get away with anything. Mm -hmm. And then it gets to this point now where Russia does something about it and in such a way that it totally reveals what a joke it's all been.
2: I think the Russian strategy, yeah, in in that sense has been – uh watching what has happened over the past fourteen years, mm-hmm. let's say, uh and that's more or less since Putin has been uh, in, in power. Uh and their strategy has been to watch and take the approach of give them enough rope to hang themselves mm-hmm. and wait until the point where uh they are so arrogant, so complacent, so self assured, uh that they think, you know, it's a done deal. We have it all. All your business belong to us and um and then move mhm and that's when they when they're weakest you know um but the, the the history of this whole situation is is kind of uh is pretty interesting and it's important uh in terms of understanding what the US has been doing or what the US's intentions um in the Middle East are now and why they're doing what they're doing and what they have been doing for so long i mean back in um back when the Middle East was originally made um this is after the first world war um after the fall of the Ottoman Empire, which was defeated in the First World War, broken up after the First World War, you had the creation of what you have of the of the modern Middle East and the countries that are in it were drawn up by Western powers, the British, the French, and to some extent the Americans back then. Um but all through those those the ensuing decades after the First World War, during the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, um you had a big pan a big movement across all of the Middle East and uh, North Africa. Uh, basically, the, the 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 movement was pan Arabism, or and pan Arabism was came out of after, the, as I said, after the fall of the Ottoman Empire. You had basically Arabs in this region. And I'm talking here from Morocco on the on the Atlantic, across Algeria, Libya, Egypt, you know, Saudi Arabia, Iraq. Uh, Syria. After those countries were uh, created, you had this movement for a secular, socialist, progressive uh, union, effectively, kind of like the European Union of Arab states, of all these states that shared an Arab culture and heritage. And that was, and there were, there were leaders in these countries who all uh, promoted this idea. Uh, a notable one, obviously, was uh, Nasser in Egypt, but there were several uh, in Syria and Iraq. Um, and Yemen, and Libya. Obviously, Gaddafi is, uh, he was, 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 a, was a leader. Yeah, uh, he was a, a, a you know a descendant of these people, or, or he carried on that tradition. And that's obviously a big problem for or was a big problem for the West, particularly the Brits and the Americans at the time, because they saw they wanted the oil. They wanted to control the oil. They wanted to control the oil and have complete domination over the oil-producing countries of the Middle East. There was no way they were going to allow. Uh, this kind of pan-Arab socialist secular, in particular secular socialist in quotes. I mean, well, no socialist in 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 the sense of that was their uh, that was our economic or ideology. Uh-huh. Uh, that's what they promoted. Um, and of course, this was during the Cold War when socialism was synonymous with communism. And all through the Cold War, the U.S. basically. A wage a war on any country that dared to utter the word socialist. Uh, you were a commie and you had to be bombed. Uh, of course, the, the reason for that was because <clears throat> a socialist country that declares itself socialist means that if effectively the, the government in that country will uh, run the country largely for the benefit of the people. Any resources the country has would be for the benefit of the people in the country. That was uh, uh the. I mean, that was. And it would naturally relate to and trade with. Moscow. Great. Uh, obviously, the, so so the U.S. in terms of uh, scooping up all of the resources of the entire world, that was the, the last thing they wanted to see. That's why they fought against socialism. When the U.S. fought against socialism slash, slash communism during the Cold War, what they were fighting against was the right of individual countries in the world to use the resources for the benefit of their populations. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, the U.S. wanted the resources of foreign countries to be for the benefit of American the American people to a certain extent but mostly uh, the American elite. Uh, It's a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy or a a positive or negative you might call it feedback loop where you know you you scoop up uh, invade countries you control countries you manipulate countries to give you their resources to for free or you steal them Uh, you do that militarily under the threat of military action Uh, you use that money that you get from there to fund your military to go and do it elsewhere and you just keep going it's you know kind of circular until you've eaten everything and nothing left for anybody. So all of this was happening all throughout the 20s, 30s,
4: 40s, 50s. They were fighting against the natural forces of integration. Right. Here we go again. Um, In this case, a pan Arab economic unity of sort, and political and religious, and culture, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And the way to not allow those forces to happen was to create these fake lines and mean get them to start killing each other.
2: Exactly. So the whole idea of Sunni-Shia divide and fighting with each other was not is nonsense, has no basis in history whatsoever. It's only a modern uh, uh, idea, and it's been entirely manufactured. And again, I come back here to Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia struck a deal with the West. Yeah. Basically, the West said, during the war, you, you have all the oil. We want your oil. We will allow you Saudi head chopping nutty royals to uh we will perpetuate your dynasty and your rule in the Middle East. You will rule forever. We will keep any of the any any kind of grassroots movements or anything come from either in Saudi Arabia or in any other country in the Middle East from threatening you at all. You will be the rulers of this kingdom for as long as you mm-hmm. continue to make sure that we own your oil and also it's obviously in your interest, nutty Saudi royal headchoppers, to make sure help us in making sure that no grassroots secular socialist kind of movement happens or, or springs up in any of these other countries in the Middle East, including North Africa, in in, in the Maghreb. Mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia was sure no problem. Best thing we can do in that respect is we'll have a nice, really extreme, fundamentalist type of Islam, which is the antithesis of what this pan-Arabism was, which was secular. And we, their equivalent of fascists, basically. Right. We'll, yes, exactly. Muslim fascists. And we will promote that, and we will you know, we'll, we'll fund it, we'll, we'll indoctrinate people, we'll arm people, we'll send them into countries, we'll start wars. You can help us, U.S., and we will control this Middle East and keep it divided, keep it in conflict for all this time. We will assassinate people. We will overthrow people. No problem. Of course, Israel uh, has a vested interest here as well. and is, The very creation of Israel was for this uh-huh, purpose. Uh-huh. Take a bunch of Jews down there in the Middle East, give them Palestinian land, and uh, they'll be our policemen. And the fact that we have taken over Palestinian land will... Provide fertile ground for lots of conflict. We can demonize these people. We can call them call them terrorists. The very first guy actually who came up with this, his name was. Um, just to give you an idea of a little insight into the extent of the uh, of the mind job and the lies and the propaganda that have been uh, projected onto or waged against uh, Muslims or Middle Eastern uh, uh, people, for example, like the Palestinians in particular. The guy who is Really the father of this idea is a guy called Izzad Din Al kassam and he wanted this. He had this. He was one of the the people at the very beginning, and in in, um, in really around the turn of the twentieth century, started uh, promoting, pushing for this secular pan Arab um, kind of a conglomeration of states who would all unite together against imperialism, against foreign uh, influence or meddling. His surname was Al Qasam, and today, uh, one of the major Palestinian um, groups fighting against—it's uh, a, it's a section of Hamas, actually. You know that's terrible. Or- the, and the, one of the rockets is called Qassam So these people actually honour the, the the genuine resistance mm-hmm. that are called terrorists—Palestinians, uh, the Lebanese, Hezbollahs. These people uh, honour their kind of uh, heroes from the past and in, in whose footsteps they, they under, believe themselves to be fo- following are secular, socialist, Arabs. So, I mean, that's their history, effectively. That's their ideological history. And yet, apparently, they're meant to be some kind of... Uh, we're told in the West that there are these extremist Muslims who want to kill everybody and chop everybody's head off. No, that's Saudi Arabia.
4: Mm-hmm. And, and the and people it's projected onto are the trinity They're still trying to... They're, they thought they had wrapped up their Syria, Iran. What's the third country?
2: I think they are the only two well, left. Iraq was, despite mm-hmm. what's been said about Saddam Hussein. Iraq was, I mean, the 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 kind of oh Hezbollah I was Hezbollah, the Baath the Baathist party. You heard about you know Saddam was leader of the Baathist uh, party in, in in Iraq, and the Baathists were evil, and it was debaathification. The Baath party is was uh, the primary party. Uh, since almost 100 years ago well, the pr- hour promoting yes. secular socialist Arab unity. Yeah, That was Saddam's agenda. That was, his agenda. That that was, was th- why he had to go. Exactly. That's why he was demonized. That's why it's called. And the thing is, the same was true in, in Syria. Before the current uh, Assad, he took over from his father in 2000. His father's name was Hafiz. Hafiz Assad. Uh was part of a coup uh, in 1963, he became president in 1971 of Syria and he was president from 1971 until 2000, until the current Assad took over. And throughout that entire period of his presidency for 30 years, he was called by the West at, uh, a terrorist, a sponsor of terrorism. Assad, uh, Syria was a terrorist sponsoring state, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, because, um, because he was he was one of the... Uh, the few at that time or one of the countries at the time in the Middle East who were still holding out for this secular anti-imperialist anti-West anti-Western meddling in the Middle East yeah and the same was true of Iraq and I mean throughout this whole period there were lots of attempts to and, and countries did actually join together you know I think at one at one point um, Syria and Egypt in nineteen in nineteen eighty Syria and Egypt actually joined together. And
4: they formed a, form, a form, tempor- form of union. Yeah.
2: Temporarily joined as as a separate as a as a, a, sp- a, a republics. Exactly. As a, yeah. Uh, Libya did the same thing. Libya proposed a, a a union with Tunisia. Um. So the point of the point we're making here is that the history of this going going back sixty seventy years and more is that there are these countries in the Middle East who have all been very aware of the fact influencing meddling waging war attempting to destabilize attempting to divide these countries in the middle east for the purpose of conquering and controlling them and they have done it primarily uh with the help of saudi arabia israel and maybe you know other little mini gulf states who are have, have far too much influence based on their size like qatar or bahrain this tiny little you know knuckles in the persian gulf mm-hmm are able to, like, you know, support, fund ISIS, basically, like Qatar, you know. So, um, yeah, so the point about... And the other, the other thing to mention is that during this whole Cold War period when this was going on, this pan-Arab uh, secular socialist movement uh, was, was fighting effect, effectively against the West and being destabilized by the West repeatedly, uh, Syria, at that point, had established strong ties with Russia. And Assad's father... Who I just mentioned had close ties with Russia. So Russia has had uh, an interest in Syria in particular for decades, and has had a relationship with Syria for decades, back to a time when Russia was effectively trying to spread socialism uh, around the world. In in a certain, you know, not in the way that the Americans were going around attempting to spread capitalism. They were simply attempting to.
0: Well,
4: just just a little caveat here. That was what the accusation was and the justification during so-called Cold War for why American intervention was necessary. Because Moscow was controlling these satellites in the Middle East and anywhere else in the world where a socialist government. But no, these were actually of their own accord. The era when Russia did try to influence who would rule in what country is an earlier one, yes, the one exception in the later Soviet era is the Afghan situation where they help bring a socialist guy into
2: power, Great. but and there's nothing wrong with helping to bring a socialist guy into power. If I have to choose between the American idea and, and, exactly. and the well, of idea that's bringing the thing. To, socialism, socialism the is like a, yeah socialism like is as i said uh allowing a country to use the resources of their country to uh increase the wealth of the local population if that's what russia the soviet union. Was attempting to spread around the world. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you could say, "Well, that's nefarious. They're going to control, and they're going to they're going to do what we want to do." But you know, that's we'll never know because Russia never got to do any of that. And the fact that Russia never did any of that in any significant way or certainly not like the US did. Suggests that they weren't trying to do that because if they had really been as predatory as the US. Surely they would have made. Uh, uh, you know, made more ground than, than they did. They were pushed out of basically most of the rest of the world apart, of, apart from the Soviet Union by the Americans during the whole Cold War. So they certainly weren't as aggressive and predatory in that way as, as the Americans were. But um, that's why I think that uh, maybe it's not a conscious intention but or, or a definite part of their plan, but by coming into Syria right now and defending their allies, as Harrison was saying, or their own, and defending their interests in Syria, this could... Lead to a situation where the status quo were in the Middle East, with the U.S. basically having ruled it for so long, to the uh, and create so much suffering and so many wars in the Middle East as a result of their control. This could be what what Russia is doing in Syria could lead to a change, a complete radical change in that, and to potentially the fulfillment of that pan-Arab dream from from many years ago, from the middle of the uh, of the 20th century. Of course, I think we talked about this earlier and we concluded that the only problem with that was that Israel mm-hmm. is an insoluble problem in that, in particular because Israel has nukes, although we don't know if Israel would ever be able to use its nukes. But certainly... Um, They're the wild card in this. Israel the wild card because they are so rapidly anti <clears throat> uh Anti-Arab, anti-Arab, anti-Arab anti, uh, you know, uh, and how the, the idea of them ever coming around and, and there being some way that Israel could have an agreement with its Arab neighbors to make peace. Because making peace at this point in time, if Israel was to make peace with its Arab neighbors, Israel would have to lose at least 50% of its territory. You know, so that's the stakes for Israel. And I think they are that's a bridge too far. Israel will not do that. The U.S. could be pushed back and eventually forced with a big fat dose of reality shoved in its face, painful reality shoved in its face. It may be forced eventually to, to, to pull its horns in and go away. Ultimately, the U.S. isn't going to lose anything other than power. It's not going to lose part of its territory. But Israel, for there to be any kind of a just peace that would be accepted by the uh, the Arab states in the Middle East, Israel has to lose big time, and it's been set it up to, that way. I think
4: it has to lose land. As, let's say they come to a compromise and say go back to the 1967 border so West Bank plus Gaza, or they have to swallow it all up and disband as a Jewish only state. But can, you imagine, can you imagine them trying to say one or the other? <laughs>
2: you imagine what the settlers would do, you know? I mean, you try and remove one settler from the West Bank and, you know, they they get their guns out and start shooting people, you know? So that's, Israel is a massive impediment to any possible peace in the Middle East. And I think... Putin must surely be aware of this. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. but maybe, so maybe his, uh, the Russians are certainly aware of this and uh, I'm pretty sure that they're... Their goals aren't as fanciful as mine, or or they certainly haven't got... uh, That was fixed, maybe. Well, I mean, more open and just let's see what we can do and let's let's achieve these goals one step at a time and see what happens. But certainly I think think they would have concluded the same thing as we've concluded, which is that we can only go so far because what are you going to do with Israelis? What can Israel realistically do without
4: Big Brother?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, if Big Brother big, goes
4: or big, bows or accepts or submits to the situation, the current situation, and where it appears to be going. Big Brother could be Russia.
2: Uh huh. It can have a different Big Brother. You know. I don't know this. So diametric But it still doesn't change the problem. Uh, in that, even if Russia was to become the new kind of a. Uh, the new overlord of the Middle East, let's say, or the or the new uh, controlling power in the Middle East, effectively. Um, although Russia has no, shows no signs of wanting to do that way. They, do it that way. They want to be, they want to have connections and do business, and uh, you know, to have normal relations with these countries, you know, because um, Russia is in a position where they can do that because they have so many natural resources. They, can, it, if the world just opens up to Russia to do business, Russia wins. Do business on fair terms. Russia wins, because Russia has so many natural resources and such a big landmass, it's going to be a successful country. Um, But in terms of Israel, yeah, um, there's no way, you can't turn around to Israel, Russia can't turn around to Israel and say, listen, you know, you have to give up your land, because Israel will say, no.
4: The last time there was a handoff between global hegemon one to the next. It was relatively peaceful. The British to the American.
0: Yeah. The
4: thing is, at least they were people who understood each other. You know what I mean? Both pathocrats, both on the same eye to eye. I can't see a toxic psychopathic regime like the Israeli one being accommodated. Yeah, that's why I within think... a Russian sphere of influence. That's why I think Israel will be destroyed in some way. Well, well, this is it. I mean, there seems to be no. Uh, well, while that might be a, a, a plan or uh, what would be otherwise a natural outcome, the reintegration of the Middle East, um, with Russia as guarantor. And in an America, quietly or, not so quietly, collapsing.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Unfortunately. Being a pathocracy, the U.S. plus Israel plus the West in general, they're going to kick back in some way.
2: I don't know what they can do though, cause I mean, not
4: not necessarily on the battlefield, not in a mm. kind of head-on. Well, they'll try going,
2: everything, every dirty yes, trick in the book, exactly. Yeah. And I
4: think they would rather. I think they are of the same mindset of as as this supposed Samson option of mm. the Israelis. Now that's that's the full Monty. That's where Israel. Realize it's been betrayed by its guarantors, in it a sense, nukes to Washington, Brussels, London, etc. Yeah. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about uh, them being so in such a kind of a state of, no, 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 we're not going to accept that this is going where it's going. We're going to keep everyone bound to the illusion that we're already hegemon and we have everything. And they will just create as much chaos as possible. We'll mm. take, take you down with well, us. We'll take you down with us. That's what the
2: Samsung option is. But,
4: mm-hmm. I mean, but not by launching nukes necessarily, just creating chaos in as many as many ways as possible.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, you can keep that going for a long time, but eventually, you know, you, know, you can only, eventually all these kind of wars and, and proxy conflicts eventually come to an end. There. You know, despite all the suffering, they eventually peter out and people move on, you know. But if, if, Syria is able to basically restore, let's say, Syria and keep it as an ally. I mean, I'm sure it's got designs on Iraq as well in the same respect in terms of the Iraqis are already, have already given the, thumbs up, given the thumbs up to Russian airstrikes. Uh, today, Egypt said it was a good thing. Iran's already on board. Uh Erdoğan said it was a grave mistake. Yeah, well, he's an idiot. But he, that guy, you know, changes his opinion uh, as often as he changes underwear. You know, so uh, he could, you know, go either way depending on what way the wind blows. But if Syria uh, comes back essentially and uh, remains a, a Russian ally, and then Iraq is involved as well, and you've got Iran, you've got Iran, Iraq, Syria,
4: big. That's it. You've got from the Mediterranean to the
2: Persian Gulf. Right. Boom. Egypt will probably follow suit fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Yemen, Pakistan will be on. far behind. Right, and Saudi Arabia is then left with a very difficult choice. You know, Saudi Arabia's like, uh, yeah, okay. You know, remember Russia? We were saying we could get you into OPEC or have you have some influence there. Well, let's go with that. You know, and America's just standing there with its, you know, hand, fist clenched, but by its side basically, and just impotent to do anything. About it. What are they going to do? Because the only alternative, the only thing they know is well, bomb them. But you're not going to bomb them because they'll bomb you back. For the first time in history, almost, you know. Um, we have a call here um, from his. Let me see. His name is Abdul Rahim from Chicago. Hi, Abdul. Yes, alaykum to your audience. Of upon
6: you. I, I I, would like to ask Do you think Two questions Do you think that once Russia Has established This stronghold That they will continue to expand Probably with the help of China And my other question is The refugees That are, that are coming in From these countries Do you think the terrorists will be Some terrorists will be with these refugees that are coming in
0: to Mm -hmm.
6: different countries are sympathizers of radical islam thank you
2: yeah well on your on your first question yeah i think russia is fully fully intends to continue to expand its influence with the help of, of china but uh, in terms of what we're talking about in the Middle East, yeah, it's, it, I think it intends to stay. It's in, Russia, it's in Syria now, and it's not there. It didn't go to the lengths that it's gone to, building an air base and carrying out these airstrikes. It's not just going to do that and go away. That's, kind of, mm-hmm. that's a sign that says we're here to stay. They're also going to try and make, uh, make friends and, and get some influence with, uh, with Iraq and other countries in the Middle East. They're going to try and change the whole situation there where the U.S. has been the top dog for so long. Russia plans on changing all of that and it's in a good position to do it. Uh, on the refugee thing, yeah, I mean, there, I don't know if you know, but the the president of the EU, of the European Union, just the other day, came out and publicly said that he heard politicians, he didn't say which politicians, but I think he was talking about American politicians, saying that they had used the refugee crisis, where well, these refugees are coming into Europe, they had used that to try and put pressure on Europe. So the, the refugee crisis seems to be, uh, to a certain extent, a manufactured crisis. Were, they're sending these people in the borders in over to Europe and giving the Europeans something to, to worry about, to keep them concerned and, and stop them from, you know, keep them under America's influence effectively as to whether or not there's, well, in, in that context, it's very likely or very possible that if the Americans or whoever wanted, they could send a bunch of, uh, yeah, extremists, terrorists, or professionals. Yeah, or professionals, whatever, in with them and carry out some bombings in Europe and stuff just to mix things up. And Not necessarily with them, though. It, it,
4: no. It's more that you, what, the, next thing, cover the, for the next thing you could hear on the news would be a massive, uh, massive car bomb in, let's say, Berlin. And then it'll be not, everyone will go. Oh yeah, hold on, that's the refugees. refugees, ISIS, Syria, okay. And it will make sense; it'll be plausible then when the media will say, "Ah, we found a connection. We think this is the guy, and he came in on this train from Hungary via Turkey, et cetera. Et cetera. So it's. I was talking. Narrative. About, I,
6: was talk, I was talking about them coming in the U.S. and what is the mm. possibility of other nine eleven happening mm. again because of the refugees? You don't know if they're radical. Islamists that are being mixed in with the group. I'm not talking about outside of the United States. I'm talking mm. about inside of the United States. That's what I was talking about.
2: Well, maybe. I mean, there hasn't been much about uh I mean, the U.S. said they'll take some refugees from Syria and stuff into, into the U.S., but the major refugee situation or crisis, as they're calling it right now, is in, is in Europe, you know, because it's connected directly on, on the landmass with, uh, with Syria, so it's, you get far more refugees coming into Europe, you know them to get to America, they have to get in a plane. You know, it's possible that they could use that, but I mean, U.S. doesn't need U.S. government doesn't need refugees from Syria to carry out some new kind of 9/11. They can just say, "Oh, it was a homegrown radical group" or some kind of a sleeper cell of Muslims that have been there since 9/11. You know, hiding somewhere in the woods in uh, Tennessee and, and Upper Lake Michigan or something. And uh, and they came down and they carry out a big dirty bomb or something. I mean, they can come up with any any kind of narrative, you know. Or they could use the refugee thing, but I don't know. Possible.
6: I, I, I think, can I say this to me, and I'm, I'm enjoying this. I think Donald Trump is going to straighten a, a lot of people out now. You know, I don't totally yeah. agree with him, but you know what, he's a strong man. And I think Donald Trump Donald's gonna be all right. Come and join the broadcast from Chicago.
0: Thank you. <laughs> all right.
4: Thanks. Thanks. What's his name? Abdo. Yeah, thanks, Abdul. We'll let you go, yeah?
2: Oh. Or do you have something else? I think he's no, he has gone. I think it's gone. All right. Anyway, Donald Trump, yeah. He uh pff, not sure about Donald Abdo. He's uh He's saying the right things because he's saying the right things. He's, not saying the right things <laughs> he's yeah. a, he is appealing to people though. Cause that's why he's still
4: in the race. For God's sake, he's saying some things that make kind of sense. Yeah, but
2: Abdul, the guy is a complete—he's a snake. Yeah, like Abdul. All the other ones. Abdul, you—you you do realize that the whole terrorism thing is a lie, right? I mean, you know what false flag terrorism is, and, and you know going in and and carrying out terror attacks or bombings or whatever, and making it look like somebody else did it just to keep people, you know, afraid and and worried and keep them uh, looking to the government for protection. I mean, that's pretty much what most terrorism has been major terrorism over the past, you know, well, forever almost. Um, so, uh, but yeah, as far as Donald Trump goes, I mean, he's just a presidential candidate. Like all the rest, those guys are all just picked, you know, I mean, What you got to understand is, if you're talking about the Syria situation, um, just to give you an idea of why the president doesn't matter, uh, this plan to uh, deal with Syria, uh, and we've just been talking about how the U.S. and and its friends in the Middle East have been using these terrorists, putting them into Syria to try and overthrow the Syrian government and destroy Syria plan to do that was formulated or put together in 2006 under Bush and it was carried on under Obama. So obviously Bush and Obama, it doesn't matter that they're, that, they, that you had a, 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 Repub- a Republican president and a Democrat president. Those guys don't make the decisions. This is a policy that is, goes beyond the president and is carried on by people who aren't elected in America and it's the same in other countries. People that actually run most of the countries in the West are not elected. You have the people, the politicians who get out there and, and talk about things, get on TV, tell the tell the public different things, but they're just more or less spokespeople. The people who actually make the policies and decide what to do, they're in the background. In the U.S., it's members of the CIA and the different intelligence agencies and certain, certain well, some of them might be elected in a certain sense, I'm some sense. senators and that kind of thing, but most of them are not elected. So you have no control over – the ordinary people in this world have no control over the policy of governments because the people who make the policies are not elected. They're behind the scenes, and for a very good reason. They want to be able to keep making those policies without being kicked out of office. So they don't, go, they don't run for office. It's kind of a no-brainer. If you want to stay in power, don't run for power. Don't run for public office. Henry Kissinger – the big, right. And also the big corporations, you know, the defense contractors and yeah. stuff. The chiefs of those have a lot of say, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of what happens because they are bringing in a lot of money. They are building all the weapons, you know. They have a lot of influence, you know. So something, employ a lot of people.
4: Something that tickles me right now is the thought that some, well, official figures are around 30 to 40 thousand of the fighters in Syria. Terrorists came from. Sweden, Britain, Belgium, France, Spain, and the US. It's it's some Australian too. And that right now these guys are jamming the phone lines at Langley, at Box Hall in London, <laughs> in Paris, the the, uh-huh. the head of the French intelligence saying, Whitehall. Whitehall. Where do we go? What do we do? Can you get us out of here? Oh my god. You're coming to get us, right? Just sit tight. Just sit tight.
2: <laughs> well, in terms of you asked the question earlier on, Harrison, I wonder if uh, these SAS guys who are reported yeah. to have been in Syria, I wonder if they got caught up in a in, in a Russian airstrike. And I mean, it would be a fit. I mean, they deserve it. Yeah. I would. I would be very happy to hear that they have because they are the biggest terrorists of them all. Because not only they, uh, you know, they they run the terrorists effectively, the the, the jihadi types, uh, and they're terrorists themselves, but. I can imagine that if I mean I would hope I would assume that they're kind of smarter than that and what have got them to that because those mm-hmm. guys don't usually end up a- yeah. in the firing line but there's a chance that they that they did uh, and of course if they did you would never hear about it exactly because what
0: <laughs> what's the British
2: government going to say you know you killed our
0: special forces you
2: killed our special forces who were in Syria trying to get Assad what were they doing in Syria trying to get Assad Oh, sorry. Forget I said that. No, they weren't there. Doesn't matter. Carry on. Well, yeah. then,
3: then you've got guys like
4: like John McCain who kind of come out and, Oh, he's been great this week.
3: And and say a bit of truth, um, you know, when he came out and said, "Oh, you know, we know 100% that uh that Russia has been uh bombing our CIA trained rebels." Well, the American government apparently came out afterwards and denied that. Denied what McCain had said. But McCain's probably telling the truth in the sense that, yeah, all these guys, all these so-called terrorists have been trained by the CIA. Some of them are probably CIA agents over there. And so what Russia's done is that they've come in using the U.S.'s own propaganda against ISIS Mm. and ISIL. And essentially they are waging a proxy war on the U.S. just by using the U.S.'s own propaganda. And and the U.S. can't say anything about it. Well, they can say
4: something. Here's the thing. McCain gets up and others. This is actually one of the narratives Western media is going with. Hang on a second. Russia isn't bombing ISIS. They're bombing the Free Syrian Army. Mm-hmm. The guys we trained in Qatar with the CIA. But there's a problem. They weren't supposed to have done that. Yeah. That was supposed to have been a spontaneous uprising, remember? And that the weapons and the supplies and the training only began after ISIS yep. came online. And how many of them did they get successful? Those moderate fighters, the rebels, Four
3: or four five. Or five. Yeah, yeah, it started out about sixty or eighty. That was the plan, and they had these guys. They wanted to get thousands, like four or five thousand, or something like that. And then they had like the what was it? What is it called? Division thirty or something that they sent in there. And then immediately, the majority of them. They, first of all, they don't fight. Then they, they end up like losing a battle and defecting to Al Nusra and giving up their weapons and
0: in their Toyota their, trucks,
3: Toyota their trucks. And then uh, there's that one general that. Uh, you see the clips on, of him online, you know, being grilled on the situation. They ask, "Well, how many how many guys do we have actually there that we've trained that are in the fight?" And he says, "Oh, well, not very many, uh,
2: four or five. So, well, if McCain says that after that that guy, that military guy, said admitted that there were four or five uh-huh. CIA trained rebels left, and McCain then says that they've been bombing our CIA trained uh-huh. rebels, uh, he's not being accurate there because surely it was Russia bombed RCA rebels cuz only four or five of them yeah they're not bombing them on an ongoing basis cuz one bomb would take out four or five and that's it you know so Russia bombed RCA rebels yeah they killed now, all five of them and now we have no more this isn't fair you know <laughs> but really i think this is part
3: of what's going on is that they they train these guys and then they send them in and the plan is to get them to defect to Nusra front or whomever and that's just what happens. And then they throw, they put it out there as if, oh, you know, you know, we just lost these guys. Too bad. But that was the plan all along. So there are probably there probably are four or five thousand or more, way more, you know, CIA trained rebels. Yeah. And these and so they're just not working
4: for the CIA not yeah. anymore.
3: And so yeah, that's who's that's who Russia's bombing because that's all there is over there. Are these mercenaries? Mm. The,
4: the, the Moriarty's who we interviewed, they were in Libya mm-hmm. and they had a figure of the number of Toyota trucks and personnel that rolled off uh, U.S. cargo ships. I don't know if they came on military ships. Probably not. They probably came incognito. Mm -hmm. But the number they came up with was 100,000 for that Mm conflict. So if you consider this as a cancer and it's growing and it's expanding and they're throwing more money at it, it's it's naturally gotten bigger. Uh, I I have a figure of 123,000 terrorists Mm -hmm. for Syria now. That's just going with the Wikipedia stats on the rough guess, the lower probably estimates of who's in Nusra, who's in Free Syrian Army, who's in ISIS, yada, yada, yada. And that excludes any Kurdish fighters, Mm -hmm. many of whom poured in from Iraq. They were not indigenous Syrian ethnic Kurds. They came from Iraq, trained to the hilt by the US military Mm -hmm. over the last decade. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
2: So, uh, well, when you think about the... The figures of mercenaries, U.S. as they're called, or, or as they're called, as they were called in Iraq, security contractors. They had two hundred thousand security contractors, essentially fighting the war in Iraq over over the course of ten years. They had two hundred thousand of them, and that was more. That's more than at any one time. More than um, U.S. regular military troops in Iraq. So it seems that. Uh, quite a long time ago, they transitioned to this idea of fourth generational war, which is you don't have a direct war, you have a proxy war. And if you're going to have that kind of a proxy war, you need to have the proxy forces to actually fight it. So a long time ago, they started to put together, in some way or other, an army, essentially, mm-hmm. of non-military personnel, i.e. plain clothes, they may have been former military, They're probably from different places around the world, but also from the US, from, from Europe and stuff, paid to go in and act as if they are a local revolutionary movement
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: and achieve your objectives of effectively waging a war on another country without sending your own uh, troops in their US uniforms into that country. So it's affecting war by deception.
3: Well, I've got, uh, I want to get to some clips of some crazy people.
2: But before we do
3: that, uh, I just want to give a kind of update on what the, the kind of official narrative coming out of Russia has been. And just in the, just even in Western news about how the airstrikes have been going. So over the past three days, there's been approximately over 50 targets that have been hit. And of course, Russia uses, just calls them all ISIL targets. Because really, and, and I think there's a clue there, that they're just calling them all ISIL targets because ISIL is just this name that's being yeah. used. So that's they can, that's they the call name the you asked, yeah, so we'll go with so that. That. We'll just yeah. call it that. But uh, so um, the head of the main operation directorate of the general staff of Russia's armed forces uh, just today, this morning, said that in three days, we managed to undermine the terrorists' material technical base and significantly reduce their combat potential. There is panic and defection among them. About 600 mercenaries have left their positions and are trying to reach Europe. The Americans informed us during contacts that there was no, there was no one except terrorists in this region. That was referring to the, some of the airstrikes that they were doing. So he was even saying the Americans were saying, oh, that there were terrorists there. But then uh, and Ria Novosti uh, reported that there are seven, that 700 wanted men and militants surrendered with weapons in the Dura province uh, since the airstrikes began. And the an Arabic news channel, Al Mayadin, said that ISIL has started to evacuate their family members from Raqqa after soon after Russia's operation and that these terrorists evacuate their families to Iraq and they are they feared the renewed start of Russia's airstrikes. Now the Daily Express has has just had some hilarious headlines over the past week or the past few days actually. One of them ISIS Exodus. Hundreds of fighters leave brutal terror group after wages are slashed. So apparently, ISIS isn't having, doesn't have as much money as it used to, and so they, you know, they've cut wages. And so a lot of, you know, what that means, is that, you know, their funding is cut off, or who knows what's really going on. This is just the headline. funding can't get through to them yeah, anymore. Funding can't get through to them, so they're finding the next highest bidder. Uh, another headline: ISIS jihadis obliterated, obliterated in caps. Putin jet. Putin jets blast terrorist headquarters in Syria with bunker buster bombs. Um, so, I mean, th- these are pretty funny because they're they're actually boosting up Russia's uh, popularity. I yeah, think. exactly. And there's another one. Oh, just sorry, one more. ISIS left so weakened by airstrikes and desertion, it could be wiped out in just hours.
2: Yeah. It's like I was saying uh, somewhere else to somebody else, maybe, maybe one of you two, that um – You know, the problem for the U.S. here is, uh, and and the Europeans is that they've spent the past almost two years terrorizing uh, Western populations with the threat of ISIS, uh, images of them cutting the heads off people in glorious technicolor, you know, full high-resolution images, just scaring the bejesus out of, you know, grannies and small children across all of Europe and America. And these people really have been encouraged and primed to hate ISIS, to see them, to see ISIS as the devil, because that's the way Western media and politicians have presented them. He this really is hate. the devil. And then uh, Russia comes in and starts bombing them, and the US expects people not to be happy. I mean, are they insane,
0: mm-hmm.
2: or is that just some masterstroke by the Russians? But I mean, Jesus, what else can they do? My What's granny true? could have figured that one out. You know, she could have come up with that strategy. I mean, it's not we can't give too much credit to the Russians there because it was a no-brainer, you know? <laughs> go and bomb them. But no one's the, not you, coming. The U.S. has set set this up for you. Yeah. The Western media has set this up. We have, The Western media has portrayed these people as the devil incarnate and they're not bombing them. Why don't you go and take care of them for them? And the West will love you. And the people in the Pentagon are like, oh, shit, how mm-hmm. do we not figure that one out? What do we do? <laughs> yeah. They've been they too gooped at the last. Too <laughs> busy watching okay.
3: One more thing before the clips. Uh this is from a Saudi newspaper. They interviewed a former colonel of the US Army named Jack Jacobs. And he said that the US can't interfere with the Russians in Syria because the Russians have set up a de facto no fly zone. So Who said that? This is a formal former US Army colonel. He stole that from me.
4: Yeah, I know. But that's not been verified that before. No, that has it hasn't? No. Okay.
0: Well it's true. Well, I mean, look at it, true. yeah, true. Go, go ahead. So what, this is what it, this commentary is so correct. Yeah,
3: this is what the Saudi what paper is. is saying at least. So um, because um, so they've cut off any access to aircraft with the help of air defense systems deployed on land and on ships of the Russian Navy in the Mediterranean. Uh, the U.S. and its allies can't even carry out air reconnaissance of the of the Russian Federation forces. A source in the military circles of the American military in Turkey reported uh, that air NATO aircraft trying to get close to the forces of the Russian Federation have been identified by radar, um, and the sources of the radar could not even be traced. So this guy said, allegedly, quote, the Russians have indicated that they can see everything, and getting closer is not worth it, otherwise the plan will be shot down. So this is what this anonymous American official allegedly said in Turkey. And again, this is being reported in a Saudi newspaper. Otherwise, it's, yeah, go ahead. And so Jack Jacobs went on, uh, frankly, we were surprised by the air defense systems of Russia. Most likely they, uh, they are the latest systems S-400. I have no other ideas. And then apparently uh, commander of NATO forces in Europe, General Philip Breedlove said that the new military infrastructure of Russia in Syria, including air defense systems, de facto creates a no-fly zone. So...
2: Just not to trip my own horn, but I published an article that several days ago yeah. with that exact word. On, I, don't, I don't know. If, I don't September think, 28th. I don't think anybody else used that term, a no-fly zone, but it's pretty clear to me that Russia had created a no-fly zone because I, I was also aware from a report from, I think, a year ago, and again it was in the Israeli really press somewhere, saying that the US, or sorry, Russia had delivered S 300s which is an anti-aircraft, a fairly advanced, not not Russia's most advanced anti-aircraft system, but Uh, an advanced anti-aircraft system had been delivered by the Russians to Syria. And Syria had put them pretty much probably in several strategic places in their country, meaning that uh, any plane, any NATO Western plane that tried to fly over would be in serious risk of being shot down. And that's why I say there have been no significant airstrikes by NATO forces on Syria Mm
0: -hmm.
2: because they were too afraid of being shot down the Russians had put that in place uh, they may have identified certain areas where they could go but anyway if they can't this S-300 system would be put in strategic places where the Syrian military was and the Syrian military is the target of NATO warplanes so NATO warplanes were prevented from bombing, from achieving their objective, their covert objective which is bombing the Syrian military and NATO aren't interested in bombing the rebels because the, the rebels are theirs So that's why there's been very little activity, and since what for me, what's been there's been a deafening silence, even worse than the deafening silence of the (laughs) UN when Netanyahu gave his speech. It was worse there. It was a it was a worse deafening silence. I mean, it was just it blew your head off, deafening silence, head blowing off silence. They're really loud those ones. The silence that I heard was this silence uh, that I heard was the Western response to russia starting airstrikes
0: mm-hmm. in
2: syria there was just absolutely nothing there was a little people oh we're well we're gonna keep doing our stress strikes as well we, we we're gonna do them uh right can you show us any pictures no don't have any oh so go we're ahead and make here. sure
4: we coordinate with the russian planes yeah. so that there's no conflict
2: in the air now no. we're gonna coordinate no accidents yeah so you just let us know when you're flying your planes uh And so you don't conflict with our planes. And the Russians are like, yeah, but you're not flying any planes. Well, can you let us know anyway? No. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, there's just been nothing. It's been, Russia has clearly had a free hand to just bomb wherever it wants in Syria and the West had to sit there and go, and it it has effectively
4: had that then in operation since
7: for a year, at least August
4: 2013. Yeah, absolutely. When they realized... They put a massive break on the plan to go in.
2: The way that the, the West here, the Americans, have been completely outfoxed mm. is indicative of something that the Russians have been planning for a long time and have been meticulous about. And one aspect of it has been putting these anti-aircraft systems in Syria thereby neutralizing, effectively, like I said, creating a no-fly zone for NATO planes across Syria. You cannot do anything. I mean, that, that's been the thing that's been on my mind for a long time. Why have, why have the West, it's not like they don't enjoy doing it, why has NATO not been bombing the Syrian military? Why has there not been one report from the Syrian press, which would have been carried by other, probably the Russians as well, why have the Syrians not made, made one reference to them being bombed from the air mm-hmm. over the past four years? Even allowing for the the West saying, "Oh, let the jihadis do their job. We don't need to bomb it." They have not been able to bomb anywhere in Syria. They've only been able to do what they've done to date, which is infiltrate
4: the borders with airdrop. Well, no, not air, the airdrops were probably done in northern
2: Iraq of like right. supplies to right. the jihadis. The only, the only, so the only bombing of the same. Only bombings that, the, and Airdropsy you mentioned war. it earlier. The only bombings that you saw that you, that you heard. Uh, uh, Western, U.S., EU, whatever, NATO bombings were in Iraq. And that's because the U.S. has air bases in Iraq. Mm -hmm. And they were happy to bomb ISIS in Iraq. But ISIS was never meant to stay in Iraq. ISIS was meant to go to Syria. That's what it was designed for. Uh, They gathered themselves in Iraq. What they did in Iraq was basically it was a stop-off point. Once they arrived, they said, OK, get your shoulders over to Iraq. We've left you a bunch of military equipment there uh, that we pretended we left for the Iraqi army but it's actually for you to up in Iraq and head to Syria.
4: You know that that uh, earlier... they had to cross the border on mass. Right. Uh-huh. And then those first images of them in convoys, all Toyota, right. all in black, blah, 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 with the new flag, the new brand, the new logo, they had to cross over on mass, the free Syrian, whatever they were, the rebels that were mm-hmm.
2: funded by the CIA, had to get out of the country, restock, and then come back as ISIS. Right. I think the way this happened actually was that the jihadis came in, from Jordan, it's pretty well documented. Um, the the kind of free Syrian, supposed free Syrian army groups, some of them come in from Lebanon, maybe in certain places, but primarily from Jordan. They came in from Saudi Arabia into Jordan and then into Syria in the south because uh, the initial violent uh, protests that were shooting at police were, we're in happening the in the south, just over the border from Jordan. That's mm-hmm. where they started coming. But then, so that they they, they spread themselves, they, they, they progressed, further north into Syria. And then, at the same time, a bunch of them come in from Iraq, from the east, across the border that way, and they spread across that way. But I think most of the Iraqi, the ones that came from Iraq, the ISIS, ISIS effectively came from Iraq. Mm-hmm. And ISIS uh, is effectively the remnants of the death squads, the death squads that the U.S., that on record, check it up in the Guardian, the U.S. had been organizing from anybody they could get who takes some money and, and like killing people. Uh, throughout the whole occupation of Iraq, there was a guy, uh, James Steele, he's a former US military man who has a history in Latin America organizing death squads. He was put into Iraq in about 2004 to start organizing death squads to go around and basically try and deal with the insurgency in Iraq. By cutting and off people's heads. In mass. D- drilling, cutting off heads, drilling people's, he- people's heads with drills, you know, just horrible torture. These these groups were put together under U.S. control in Iraq to use in the same kind of way that they're being used in in Syria now. But those people were put together, that group ISIS was put together throughout the occupation in Iraq and then used most recently Mm -hmm. across the border. They were tooled up with U.S. military equipment flown in supposedly for the Iraqi army or left by U.S. Soldiers, after they supposedly left but didn't, most of them, some of them, uh, given to this group and said, okay, now you go into Syria and do the same job basically in Syria, which is terrorize the population and anybody you can you know, fight against the Syrian military and torture people and cut off heads. And uh, since we know you really like doing it, you can film it and we'll send the videos to Rita Katz uh, of sight and she will uh give them to the Western media. Mm-hmm. and it'll all be good. By Jove, I think he's gone cracked it. huh.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And just
3: uh, earlier in the show I'd mentioned that you know my memory of one of those airstrikes getting a grand silo that was actually in Iraq. Mm-hmm. So yeah that that's that was wasn't even relevant so I think I think you're onto something. Joe.
0: Yeah.
2: Oh, well, well elementary, my dear Watson.
3: So with all that in mind, let's listen to a few Americans, American politicians, and their reactions to what's going on. So first, let's uh, let's do this clip of. It's got three people talking. It's got um, John McCain, of course. It's got Hillary Clinton, and then it's got Carly Fiorina. She's a presidential candidate.
0: Um, she, used to, she used to be the
2: CEO of the HP.
3: Yeah, she still works for them. She's She's with a bunch of people,
2: a bunch of different corporations. Uh, I don't want to preempt what she says, but she should stick to computers. I mean, really,
0: here she is. Clinton later sat
5: down with 7 News to discuss other issues, including how she would respond to the Russian airstrikes in Syria.
2: I personally would be advocating now for a no-fly zone and humanitarian corridors to try to stop Mm -hmm. the carnage Uh, on the ground and from the air.
5: Senator, if you were president in the middle of all of this, and you know, or you're charging, as you did just now, and I assume you know more than I do, that the Russian uh, fighters are targeting the very groups we are trying to help. Would you shoot down those Russian planes?
0: No,
4: but I would certainly make it clear. Uh, well, I would do a whole lot of things. General David Petraeus testified before the Armed Services Committee uh two weeks ago he laid out what we need to do. We need to stop the barrel bombing, we need to have a no fly zone. We need to have a buffer zone for refugees. We need to provide No certain I kinds know that Senator, help. but if
7: they are attacking yeah. the very guys
5: who we want to see yeah. topple aside. Uh,
4: you you I would let American
5: planes just no. to, to pass them and let them do that?
4: No, but I might do what we did in Afghanistan many years ago to give those guys the ability to shoot down those planes. That uh, that equipment is available
5: who would be shooting him down
4: the free syrian army
7: i believe we must tell the russians that we will conduct we will secure a no-fly zone around anti-assad uh, rebel forces that we're supporting. This is a tricky maneuver. It's a dangerous maneuver, but it's a maneuver that we must undertake because we must make it crystal clear to Russia that they
2: do not get to move into the Middle East and become the dominant outside power, which is
7: clearly their intention. Secondly, so I would look, immediately look, look, call together. You? Does that mean we yes, might we, we might use force against Russian jets? Well, hopefully not. Hopefully, if we are signaling clearly to the Russians our intention, it will not come to that. But if it does come to that, I think we must be prepared
2: Earth to those three Earth to those three are you receiving me no fly zone, but sorry, Russia already has a no fly zone you Check can't say made. you can't you can't say no, we're going to put our no fly zone, and it'll say our no fly zone will fight with the Russian no fly zone, and then we'll win Enter. and that's my foreign policy, and that's why I want to be president. And John McCain, earth to John McCain, John McCain, this isn't nineteen seventy nine you know I know it I know you can't I know you can attend to spend a lot of time back in Nam and stuff and in, in the Roback back in the rat hole, you know, uh, I know you long to go back there and stuff, but you know this isn't seventy nine and you can't just say, oh, we're gonna give." Uh, the F- Syrian jihadi rebels that were supporting the nutjobs were going to give them like anti-aircraft shoulder-fired missiles, so they'll shoot down all the Russian planes, like we did in Afghanistan. This is like thirty years later, John. Technology has moved on. That's not going to work. You know, first of all, uh, uh, <laughs> first of all, Russia's already more or less, you know, obliterated. Your friends in the Free Syrian Jihadi nutchop, not not the head uh, chopping friends. army. Your close buddies, uh, and uh, secondly, the Russians are more than likely aware of the possibility of their planes being shot down by surface terror air missiles. And they fly so
3: high, that, exactly. Uh, they'd need some pretty heavy. <laughs> you know,
2: some pretty heavy machinery and weaponry to be able to even shoot them down. You know, but we shouldn't even be discussing this because these people, those three people are, you know... They're uh, in
4: a different world. They're in a world that's finished. They're just saying,
2: they're just, I mean, particularly uh, Clinton. Well, does does Hillary Clinton want to be president? Yeah, Yeah. she does. She does, yeah. I think, my prediction, she's going to be president. Oh, my God. Clinton and, and Fiorina, Carly Fiorina, computer nerd woman, they're just saying that kind of stuff to sound like I'm all tough on terrorism and I'm going to get Russia because they want to be president. Mm-hmm. They don't have to make any sense. They're not expected to make any sense because nobody in America is listening anyway and the ones that are don't have no idea what they're talking about. So as long as they say, I'm going to be tough on terrorism, and get those Russians. You know, and, I, and that's why I want to be president. But you, you notice like, they
4: were all cagey,
2: cagey when they were pushed mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: as to whether or not they would actually, Well, he's not, not even
4: killery said yeah yeah bomb bomb bomb
2: Moscow well she's a bit more experienced than she probably but Fiorina was well well, hopefully not but if we had to yeah I would shoot down one or two all right well we've got a plane ready for you right now do you want to take it up I mean you don't have to slide yourself. we can put you in the back seat but you can push the button well no because then I couldn't be president (coughs) because you can't be in the military and be president well she'd she'd be more (laughs) used to the plane Listen to this next guy. This is Senator. If they dropped her out. Yeah, down, <laughs> You know, and just she just started talking at people. She would like she would destroy Assad's forces in no time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh
2: God, yeah. If they let her out, and I just had her laugh. at those people laugh at the Syrian military; they would just flee in terror. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: okay, but listen to this next guy. This is Senator Tom Cotton from
3: Arkansas. He's an Iraq vet and. Well, I'll just listen to him. I'll get an idea.
2: Good night, Tom.
7: Just as in Georgia, when Vladimir Putin invaded Crimea, he demanded restraint from the government of Ukraine. Obama. When Vladimir Putin began to conduct operations in eastern Ukraine, he looked the other way. He imposed weak sanctions. To this day, he refuses to arm them in the ways that they are desperately calling for. So what should we do now? Again, I think it's pretty simple. Let me lay it out. We should make it clear that Vladimir Putin and Russia will not be a power in the Middle East. We should pressure our partners to do the same thing. We should establish no-fly zones in Syria and make it clear that any aircraft that enters those zones will be shot down. We should make it clear that we will fly where we want and when we want. That any aircraft in Syria, or for that matter in the vicinity of a NATO country that turns off its transponder will be shot down as a menace to civil aviation and to our allies. We should ramp up our airstrikes in Syria against our enemies, like the Islamic State. We should threaten Iran with termination of the nuclear deal because they are continuing to provide support for Bashar al-Assad. We should make it clear that Israel retains the right to interdict missile shipments from Iran through Syria to the terrorist group Hezbollah. And let's not forget about Ukraine and Europe. We should arm Ukrainian forces. We should give them the intelligence they need on Russian forces and rebels that are massing on their border. We should enhance sanctions by expanding them across all sectors. We should move troops to base them at least temporarily, if not permanently, on our eastern NATO flank in places like Estonia and Latvia. Some say these responses will be provocative. But well, where will Putin's provocations end? What's really provocative is American weakness. Putin is humiliating the United States. If we don't draw a line now and enforce it, it will not be a choice between humiliation or war. It will be a choice between humiliation and war. I yield the floor.
2: (laughs) At least he was honest there, but he's kind of like saying, because you know what? When I get humiliated, I go to war. It's not gonna be humiliation or war, it'll be humiliation and war, because if you humiliate us too much, we go to war. But, I mean, newsflash this guy too. You can't have a no-fly zone when somebody already has a no-fly zone, right? I mean, just newsflash. I mean, are you keeping up with things at all? And, um, you know, he, he wants to, his solution is, you know, if anybody doesn't agree with us or do what we, what we say, I'm going to kill them all with my freedom, you know, with American freedom, kill them with freedom, uh, American freedom missiles, uh, you know, kill them. I, I'm very, very humiliated and annoyed here at, at all these things that are happening that I don't like happening. And I think we should do something about them. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's is it congressman, right? Yeah, like no, Senator-, Senator Cotton. Yeah. Uh, but you're just going to have, have to live with the humiliation because it's a bit late, you know? You're kind of coming late in the game yeah. here. Already know? humiliated. Sorry, your name's not on the list and you're not getting in, you know? What more can I say? Uh, and you can't really
3: prevent Russia from be, from becoming a power in the
2: Middle East when it already is one. But, but reality sucks. Yeah. I mean, I don't agree with reality, you know what I'm saying? And my freedom doesn't agree with reality. Freedom and reality are incompatible and American freedom should take precedence over reality. Don't you understand that? No. <laughs> well, you're going to
0: have to understand that
2: because, you know... I've got a
0: lot of bombs.
2: I've got back spectrum freedom right here, and it's coming to you in the shape of a pointy missile.
4: <laughs> they don't, But they don't even... That thread is now empty. Of it's course, it's empty as yeah. soon as you said it. It's looking like it's been empty for a long time. I mean, it's...
2: Was, they would have done all the things that they bluster about. Mm-hmm. They couldn't. They've been napping. They're, they're, if I could sum it all up, all of this, all of these comments from these people, everything that's come out of the U.S. in the past week, it would be summed up with, but but he can't do that. That's more or less what they say about, about Russia. But he can't do that.
4: And it's already done.
2: Yeah, it's done. Yeah, but he can't. He, i'm humiliated uh, i'm not happy uh can we bomb him please can Great. someone bomb him joe i get john mccain in here get him to sing the bomb bomb around song again to make me feel better can we bomb around can we bomb somebody jesus christ Th- these people are stopping us from these russians are stopping us from bombing places that's all we live for it's, not, it's totally unfair and humiliating and i want to be president <laughs> <laughs> Here, have a cookie. Oh freedom freedom cookies. That's
4: pretty much it. Anyway. Um Yeah. I think the the only thing they can do is to maintain the illusion and hope that they keep enough people in the Western sphere. Song, but they're leaving in droves. I mean, people can't help but
2: support what it's doing. Mm -hmm. I don't. It's like we said at the beginning, it's they've finally, someone has finally come along and actually started a war on actual terrorism. And that's what's so refreshing. What a refreshing idea! Good job, uh, Vladimir. That's just—I don't know how you could have come up with that idea of actually having a war on terrorists. Actually, you know, bombing terrorists, because obviously we in the U.S. have just been—we've uh, just been a bit confused for the past 14 years. We we were trying to have this war on terrorism, but it just wasn't working out in that, in the way yeah. that we wanted. We we were having difficulty actually bombing the terrorists, and you come along and you explain very clearly, you know, by demonstration that the way to fight terrorists and and to bomb them is to actually drop bombs on them. Now that's just radical. That's that's a new paradigm. We're going to have to go back to uh back in the Pentagon here and have a meeting about it to try and understand your your radically new paradigm. <laughs> your new paradigm here. Cuz that's amazing. Thanks. And
3: every success that Russia has with these airstrikes will just make it crystal clear, more crystal clear what a total failure, from the you know just from the mainstream perspective, this whole war on terror has been, and specifically in Syria. Well, every time, every time Russia succeeds in something, then the natural response will be, well, why couldn't the states do that? And in,
0: mm-hmm.
3: in over a year, well, what's going on there? Well,
0: they, yeah,
4: I, and this is going to have so many effects. I mean, it's already let's look at what's already happened.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, the insurgency is revived in the north of Afan- yeah, Afghanistan. hmm uh which prompted US airstrikes
0: mm-hmm.
4: which obliterated a hospital mhm where doctors without borders were working just as they're trying to say that Russia is mm-hmm. doing this to civilians Oops. in Syria and
3: this is the only hospital in the region with the ca- the capacity and the capability
2: of um treating the treating major wounds You know, it's really bad when reality is against you as well. You know, like the universe or whatever, our fate or luck just like starts to turn against you, you know, and really expose. Because, I mean, you couldn't have set that up any better, you know. I mean, personally, I think that Russia was behind it. Uh, You know, they are the ones who bombed the hospital in Afghanistan to make America look bad because, like you just said, I mean, the whole Western media and politicians saying they're killing civilians in Syria. They're killing, and then they go and kill twenty-four people, doctors and patients, in a hospital. I mean, it's it's one thing, even if Russia had, which they probably haven't, but even if they had killed some civilians as "quote-unquote" collateral damage. I mean, that's universally this in this horrible world that's universally accepted as uh, more or less well um, mm. mm. acceptable, right? When you're fighting a war did bad thing happened but bombing hospital is like way off out there on that don't don't do that list and it, wasn't, thing, you know? and it
3: wasn't like some kind of accident i mean first of all the the bombing the shellings lasted for over an hour they came in intervals at 15, like approximately 15 minutes and doctors without borders had repeatedly warned or and given us well um i'll, I'll treat some quotes from doctors without borders one All parties to conflict, including in Kabul and Washington, were clearly informed of precise GPS coordinates of our our facilities in Kunduz. Another uh, another Twitter tweet. Precise location of our Kunduz hospital communicated to all parties on multiple occasions over past months, including on 929, September 29th. Bomb continued for more than 30 minutes after American and Afghan military officials in Kabul and Washington first informed of proximity to hospital so
4: they knew that this was a hospital yeah i think the they said oops yeah. but actually they didn't care because mm-hmm. they, they don't because some of the wounded being treated in there they thought were insurgents on the run well the, the afghan Af- they call them
3: afghan officials said that um that there were 10 to 15 terrorists hiding in the hospital mm. and uh the u.s military said the same thing that there were dangerous people there and doctors without borders at least in their statements, they've denied that totally. They said there were no, okay. there was no fighting, there was no shooting,
2: there were no terrorists. Yeah, they're making shit up. Yeah, yeah. after the fact. Okay, Rob on the chat here is asking um, a, a question that we hear a lot. Um, he said he's waiting for the right time. Oh, sorry, no, that's not the right one. Uh, he said I'm still waiting for intel to expose uh, 9/11. Why hold? Um, why hold back on that one?
4: That depends on you, Robert. It depends on, on him exposing it? No. Uh, it, depends on, it depends on people in the West being ready for it. Uh, you well, know? maybe. It depends on people seeing what's going on, seeing the truth of what's going on, and informing each other. Because you need enough people, enough Western eyes opened, and this 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 series of events in the last few days has helped enormously, but this needs to continue to the point where, for whatever reason, the right moment, or scenario, or event precipitates
2: that kind of mass disclosure of something. That I expose it. I'm an, I would be doubtful though that uh, there is any kind of uh, information that Russia has that it could. Uh, could use to be a kind of a, a smoking gun on nine eleven. 11 I mean, when you think about it, what, what could it be? I mean, people talk about satellite images. I don't think Russia necessarily has or had at that time a satellite flying over the Pentagon uh, that would show what actually hit the Pentagon, for example. Uh, other than that, there's nothing else to show from a satellite perspective. So what else could it be? a piece of paper, a document, uh, <clears throat> something somebody told somebody. I mean, you know, um, the way nine eleven actually happened, it was so murky and so it was done from the shadows. Uh, I think beyond the actual, certainly beyond the oversight of the actual government, executive government, etc. So none of them can be blamed. So you're talking then, then about maybe CIA, some kind of Shadow group behind the government within the CIA, but what information is Russia going to have on any of that? That would be some kind of a slam dunk, you know what I mean? I mean, you have to, to answer that question, Rob. You have to ask yourself, what do you want? What are you looking for? Well, what would satisfy? What do you think would satisfy you or satisfy the American public that 9/11 was an inside job, for example? And then ask once you decide what it is that would satisfy them. Ask yourself, is is Russia? Is it possible that Russia could have anything like that? And how would they have
0: it? Something to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so
2: it may never happen. That's the answer. Yeah, but it doesn't, it doesn't need to happen. The U.S. is going down anyway.
4: No. And I mean, yeah, I mean, m- most Americans are skeptical enough or it, it, things will have nonlinear effects. So once the scales have been told from their eyes about what's going on right now, it questions the narrative of the whole war on terror and then they remember that it began with 9-11 and you probably won't need smoking gun evidence Absolutely. to convince someone no. already moving yeah. in changing their perspective.
2: Well, what you're talking about with, with something exposing 9-11 is that you're attempting to discredit uh, or expose the U.S. government effectively or the powers that be in the U.S. expose them as for what they are, i.e. the antithesis of freedom and democracy. But the U.S. is doing a really good job right now. The current administration and the current uh, powers that be in the U.S. are doing a really good job of exposing themselves uh, in exactly that way mm-hmm. right now. Without any reference to 9-11. Mm-hmm. And if we continue on, everybody in the world is going to know
0: mm-hmm.
2: what we what what we would like them to know, which is these people are a bunch of psychopathic warmongers who uh, enjoy killing people to serve their own selfish agendas.
4: Including yeah. killing their own. Mm
3: -hmm. and even if russia did have something i don't think it would come out in such a way as you know putin staging holding a press conference and saying here's the evidence i mean if you look at the way the russians have operated it's very low-key they they'll do everything possible to let their opponents save face and so i think if there's any kind of 9-11 9-11 disclosure it, it won't come about through official channels it'll be some kind of groundswell from underneath and somehow you know it'll just become common knowledge right. wherever it came from but there it won't be
2: well then again big thing like yeah then again you look at uh, the evidence that uh, already exists and has existed for for many years yeah. uh about 9-11 uh-huh. and the serious questions that it poses over the official on the official narrative
4: yeah, it's I mean, the the obvious as night and day on what the it, face
2: of it. Right. But so people have The
4: scales need to fall from the eyes right. first, and then, oh, look, it's staring me in the face. And you don't need any more evidence. No. You, you don't need, everything everything. You need Right. Mm-hmm. If I was 19 and I saw enough in 2002 to figure it out, you know, anyone can figure it out. Right. Maybe heaven. it's already there. <laughs>
3: Maybe the Russians have already released yeah. whatever it was, and it's just that's what, you know, that's what people have been picking up on. And. There's just been a ton of, you know, there's no smoking gun. I don't think there will ever be, ever be a smoking gun like with JFK assassination, with with the JFK assassination, but there's so much information. That is more or less a smoking gun.
2: Yeah. So, well, I think we will um, leave our discussion there for now. Um, There's more, more to come, obviously, undoubtedly because Russia isn't going anywhere. And like we were saying, it's uh, planted its foot in the Middle East and it's uh, intends to stay so and like uh, we were saying earlier on there's undoubtedly going to be some attempt at of some damage control damage control or response and attack on Russia in some way in some weak, sneaky dirty nasty psychopathic way which is the way the West operates uh, so that's the, all to come yet I suppose also but so yeah we're going to leave it there for this week but before we go, we are going to um, we're going to uh, catch up on all the latest pop culture from our old friend. Our old friend Relic, he's very old, as we keep saying, uh, and he will uh, very soon be chiming in uh, with another pop culture roundup. Uh, I think. Maybe our line to Relic, let me just try and get him on the phone here. I think he's actually, oh, our signals are being jammed by the Canadian intelligence like services because they don't want you to hear what Relic has to say today. Ooh. Um, must be explosive. Maybe he's got he's a smoking got, gun. Maybe he's the one who had the smoking gun on nine eleven. I mean, it will, I wouldn't put it past him.
4: I've always wondered about that relic. I think he's a Moscow agent.
2: He's ex-intelligence for sure. Yeah. yeah. Sitting up there in Canada. He could be a Russian agent, he's yeah. keeping it safe for Moscow. He's been around for a long time. He probably worked for the KGB, you know, Moscow for many Canada years. Makes. But anyway, um, let me see if I can, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, hang on. I know why. Because our lines are being jammed here, not by the Canadian intelligence, but by a call from uh, very far away actually about as far away as you can get this is James from New Zealand Hi James
1: What? Are the you there? Fu- it's a nigger put my TV down
2: H- Hey James you're on the line here you want to say something to us or
0: Let's you want to just talk to It's a nigger put my TV down
2: James are you on some drugs?
4: Maybe. I mean, I, I just fell off my dinosaur and I dropped my Coke and my spaghetti from my
0: pockets. So let's talk about this prick Obama.
4: No, let's not faggot. do that.
0: But no, he's a All faggot. Right. I'm just going to say he's a faggot. He's a fucking muscle. You right, should kill him.
2: Thanks for your, uh, thanks for your contribution there. That was very, uh, I hope you and your dinosaur get on well. Uh, just lay off the drugs, James, you know. They're not good for you. Nobody, nobody does well on them. Uh, you still a to see dinosaurs and stuff. Anyway, uh, well, that was the longest call we got. And, uh, and there was some dude in New Zealand with a foul mouth and a dinosaur. Anyway, as I was saying beforehand, um we are now going to have a pop culture roundup from Relic.
0: Here he is.
1: Well, hello, and uh, welcome to another fantabulous edition of Pop Culture Roundup, where we'll set up the black and white pieces on this celebrity chest board and try and outmaneuver Tinseltown royalty, where kings mate with queens, and queens mate with pawns, and bishops mate with horses. Da hell, this is decadent Hollywood, people, where everybody pretty much mates with everyone else. I'm reporting today from my humble log cabin upon the ice crested shores of Upper Lake Canada, where life is still pretty simple and unaffected by all our modern technology and conveniences. Kids these days with their X stations and their play boxes. Hell when, when I was a boy... Uh, the only toy I could afford was a, a game of Tiddlywinks. In fact, we were so poor that we only had enough money to buy the Tiddlys, and in order to play the game, we, we had to travel by dog sled across the barren tundra to our neighbor's house 12 miles away because they were the only other family who owned a set of winks oh those were the days turning now to entertainment news andy and lana wakowski the brother sister brother brother sister brother team behind such classic films as The Matrix and V for Vendetta, have announced a second season of their popular Netflix series, Sense8, which will now be rebranded as Sense9. In the first series, it was met with rave reviews and now holds the Guinness Book of World Records, for the most rainbow flags appearing in an opening title montage. Being that one of the Wachowski siblings, Brother Larry, had some special cosmetic surgery and is now known as Sister Lana, it is no surprise that their new series focuses heavily on issues related to the LGBT community. Where the letter B, I can only surmise, must stand for bestiality. But you better not quote me on that. Speaking of transgender news, Entertainment Weekly is reporting that Caitlin, the man-slash-woman-athlete formerly known as Bruce, Jenner's new reality show, I Am Kate, has dropped in the ratings by exactly 50% after its first week on the air. Studio executives remain bewildered as to why they would suddenly lose half of their viewing audience. And much like the show star, were not able to tell whether it was the male half or, or the female half that deserted the show and thus this will likely forever remain a mystery. In some recent rock and roll headlines, Rolling Stone magazine is reporting that the, the bass guitarist for the funky punk band the Red Hot Chili Peppers is a fellow named Flea. Probably named as such for his uncanny facial resemblance to the tiny winged parasite. Anyway, Mr. Flea has decided to leave the music business and open his own apiary. For all you non-apiarists out there, that means that Flea has become a backyard beekeeper with three large hives and over 200,000 honeybees. And being that Flea is fairly new to the honey-making business, many think he should probably change his name to Sting. But apparently that moniker has already been taken. Rumor has it that he has trained his tiny insects to perform acrobatic tricks in a, a Broadway show he calls Flea's Circus. But whatever the case may be, we wish him the best of luck and success in his future endeavors and hope that fleas bees are the new bees' knees. hoo Returning to Hollywood now where... Breaking Bad actor Mr. Brian Cranston gave an interview with the Nerdist Podcast where he praised golden, synthetic, rug-wearing Republican presidential nominee Mr. Donald Trump as being a most refreshing candidate, saying that even though Trump would probably make a horrible president, He appreciates Mr. Trump's candor and I-don't-give-a-shit attitude. Here is an actual conversation between Brian Cranston and Donald Trump. Say my name. Donald John
4: Trump. Say my name. Donald John Trump.
6: Say my
4: name. Me, Donald John Trump.
6: You're goddamn right.
1: Hmm... It sounds like the evil Heisenberg might be sampling a little too much of his blue crystal meth. Speaking of that shoot-from-the-hip, hip potty mouth billionaire, according to Newsweek magazine, a recent linguistic analysis was done on Mr. Trump's responses from the first Republican debate which puts the text of his speech at a fourth-grade reading level. Wow, to me that sounds like a huge insult to fourth-graders everywhere. When hearing of this linguistic report, Fox TV Studios has just announced a major change to their popular flagship quiz show for children which will now be called, Are You Smarter Than a Donald Trump? And continuing on with one last piece of news from the Donaldinator, Mr. Trump was asked recently that if perhaps he failed to win the Republican nomination, would he consider applying for the position of President of Apple Computers to replace the late Steve Jobs? Here is his response. I will be the greatest Jobs President that God ever created. Well, there you have it, kids, straight from the horse's mouth. Among his many promises as the acting head of Apple is is to manufacture all new iPads in the color of his saffron fluffy locks. And he vows to prevent all future iPhones from ever being able to call immigrants in Mexico. And lastly, he plans to reprogram the Siri app using Mr. Trump's very own voice. Hey, Siri, how are people adjusting to the sound of your new voice?
4: I don't think they like me very much. Well, surprise,
1: surprise. Oh, my, look at the times. I guess that'll be a wrap for this week, kids. I'm gonna fire up the old camp kettle and brew me up a nice cup of herbal mushroom tea before I settle in for the evening. So until next time, kids, it's your old friend Relic here saying,
0: always
1: remember, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars.